Well, today is part four of our series called Struggles, where we've been uh, taking a look at how social media has impacted our lives. We're trying to figure out how do you leave a, live a, a Jesus-centered life in a selfie-centered world. Today I want to talk to you about compassion. Now, when it comes to social media, many of you probably are thinking, well, wow, you know, social media has helped with compassion. For example, you're thinking back to last summer. How many of you took the ice bucket challenge last summer? You at least know what the ice bucket challenge was all about. I know I did it. I got nominated a couple times and poured a bucket of ice water over my head for ALS because, you know, it was this whole social media thing. It went very, very viral. And I don't know if you know this or not, but over two million times it was mentioned on and uh, two million times it was mentioned on Twitter as well. It was just something that uh, just really, really took off. And what ended up happening was over $100 million was raised for Lou Gehrig's disease to make it more aware and, and hopefully try to find some cure. So compassion uh, through social media. Or maybe you're thinking back to just last month with the earthquakes in Nepal. And, you know, not only was social media used there to uh, make sure that people could know that their loved ones were safe and stuff, but already it's being used to make sure that, you know, money's being raised. And again, over $100 million has been raised uh, through that. Now, while there are some benefits to it, there are some, and we are getting a, a hiss here. Bill, can you go help Brad figure out what in the world's going on there? Uh, and Bill, guitarist Bill, did you turn your pedal off? We're getting a hiss. Sorry about that. Technology is great when it works, but that's sort of what we're talking about in this series, right? Technology is good when it works, but there are some drawbacks to it. You know, the uh, University of Michigan did a study a couple years ago. They released it back in 2010, and they actually did this with uh, 10, or actually it was 14,000 uh, students. And what they found was that we are 40% less compassionate than we were just 20 years ago. 40% less compassionate. You're looking at me like, Gilbert, I don't really care about that, which, see, just goes to prove the point that we're less compassionate. We don't care as much as what we used to. You're going, eh, you know, just get us out of here before the Methodists up the street so we can get to the lunch buffet. You know, that's, that's all we're really worried about, right? That's all we care about. All right. Now, I'm joking about that a little bit, except for maybe the Methodist part. You know, you, you do want to meet in the lunch buffet, right? But you're saying, well, how did they discover that we're 40%? How did they, how did they quantify that we're 40% less compassionate. Well, here's what they did. They gave questionnaires to each of the students every single year, every semester or every, uh, every new school year. They would bring in a new set of students, freshmen, and they would interview them and give them this questionnaire. To see, All right, what in the world's going on here? And what they found was they would rate them on a scale of one to five, and, and they would say, you know, on a scale one to five, one being the least likely or five being the most rate yourself on some of these things. So like one of the questions was, do you tend to try to see things through your friend's eyes or not? On a scale of one to five, where, where are you at? And what they found was over the past 20 years, there was a drastic decrease in students that said, yeah, I try to identify and see things through my, my friend's eyes. Drastic, drastic uh, decrease. Another thing that they asked was this, do you find that you find yourself like concerned about those that are less fortunate than you are. Rate yourself on a scale of one to five. And again, they saw a very drastic decrease in that number. And so when you take all the questions together and you add it up, 
it was this 40% decrease over the past two decades. Now, the question is why? Why have we become less compassionate as people over the last 20 years? Well, many experts think that it has to do with this whole thing called social media. They said with the invention of social media, it's led to people becoming less and less compassionate. And with the rise of technology, the technology just getting more and more and more and more, it has led to less compassion. You're going, well, exactly how? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, let's look at a, a couple things here. The first one would be this. Social media has made us more obsessed with ourselves. Social media has made us more obsessed with ourselves. We talked about it last week. The word of the year in 2012 was what? Who remembers? Selfie, right. Selfie, it's this new word. It's only been around a couple years, but it's here to stay. People are turning the camera on themselves, and I want you to think about how weird that is. I don't know about you, but, you know, when I was growing up, I remember hearing a lot of people going, I hate getting my picture taken. You ever hear somebody say, that? I hate getting my picture taken? Well, now not only do people love getting their picture taken, but they're actually taking pictures of themselves. We have become obsessed with ourselves. Now, I'll be honest, I take a couple selfies now and then. Now, I, I actually shared with you last week a selfie that I took just a couple weeks ago. Lisa and I were down in Florida. We went to see the Blue Man Group, and so I showed you that uh, particular picture. I'm going to show you every single selfie that I've taken of myself so far this year because I don't take a whole lot. Uh, so the, the first one that's going to show up here on the screen, this was uh, back in, I believe, January or February. There I am up in the upper left-hand corner uh, on the beach in Florida. And uh, it was cold that day, so I am sort of bundled up a little bit, but... It wasn't as cold as what it was here in Harrisburg. Hashtag humble brag. All right. Uh, next one. Let's see what we got there. Uh, this is actually on the exact same trip. Uh, this is my friend Chuck Frank. Some of you have heard Chuck. He's spoken here at Exponential. He's the uh, director of church planning for our denomination. This is actually like at, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Take a wild guess where Chuck and I are standing as we're taking this selfie. Take a wild guess. We're, we're actually in the ocean at this point. We were like, it had gotten a little bit warmer, and we're like, oh, okay, let's, let's get our toes in. And so we were up about to our knees or something, so I, I took a picture of uh, Chuck and I there in the ocean. Uh, next one then up here. Okay, this is a couple months ago, and uh, this is down in North Carolina. I had to speak at a, uh, a pastor's conference down there, but I went down a couple days beforehand because one of my poker coaches actually lives in North Carolina. And so this is John Gonzalez. He's a world-famous professional player. And so he invited me to stay there at his house. And uh, we were getting ready to start our nightly online grind. And so I got my laptop set up. I'm playing five tournaments there. I don't know if you can see in the background, but he's got one, two, three, four, five, six there. He's got three on that one. And he hadn't started the other screen. But when we play, we're playing like six, ten, twelve tournaments at a time. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, he and I had a good time. So that was one of the selfies I took. All right, down here in the uh, bottom corner. Uh, that one's really hard to see without the uh, lights. You can't see either one of us, can you? Can you guys see who's there? There's two people there. Oh, Steve's going to turn it off. And Steve doesn't even know this, but Steve's actually in this picture. Well, 
Steve, Steve's got a little bit more of a tan than I do. Uh, so <laughs> but I, I, trust me, Steve is in there. This was taken on Easter Sunday, and I was taking some pictures there in the back. And on my way to the stage, I stopped real quick uh, right there in the corner with Steve, and we took a real quick uh, selfie. Uh, yeah, but you can hardly see either one of us there. All right, but uh, hashtag Easter 2015 uh, down here. Uh, this was just actually like two weeks ago. That's a very blurry picture because I'm not very good at selfies. But uh, this is my friend Travis and I. We were in a Florida pastors conference and uh, we were making fun of people doing selfies and duck faces. So that's what we're doing here. Hashtag duck face. And uh, one more. Okay. Now I got to explain this one. This is uh, the day of the Kentucky Derby, and so I'm getting ready to watch the Kentucky Derby and see all the women with their like fancy hats on and everything. So I went into my office, and I have a, one of my Halloween costumes is a mustard, and so like there's the little spout like hat thing. And so since everybody else had their uh, weird hats on, I decided to put mine on and uh, take a selfie. So there you have it. All right, Steve, you can turn the lights back on. Thanks. Um, that, that's it. You know, between last week that I showed you the selfie and this one. What have I taken? Seven selfies during the year. But here's what you need to realize with selfies. There are some people that are doing seven selfies a day and posting them online. People have become obsessed with themselves. And here, here's, the, uh, here's the real problem with that. Studies show that 80% of all activity that somebody does with social media has to do with themselves. You know, things that I'm interested in. Or did you like what I put out? Did you like my post? Did you share it? Did you retweet? You know, whatever. It all has to do with ourselves. And here's why that's dangerous. I mentioned it to you the other week. Do you remember what the the chemical is in the brain that gets released anytime we have pleasure? Anybody remember what it was called? Dopamine. Dopamine. Anytime we have pleasure, the brain releases this chemical called dopamine that says, this is good, do it again. And so... Literally, every time somebody hits like, every time somebody comments on one of your statuses, every time you get retweeted, every time somebody shares, you're like, people like me. And the brain goes, dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. And the brain's going, do it again, do it again, do it again. So literally, your body is training you to become more and more concerned about yourself and less and less concerned about other people. Number two, then. Social media desensitizes you to all the suffering that is happening. You know, when I was a kid growing up, about the only bad news that you heard was if you turned on the evening news. Or, you know, occasionally late at night there'd be a commercial that'd come on TV with, you know, starving children in Africa. And since you only saw bad things like that periodically, it really hit home to you. It really jumped out. And that's why so many people were... So, you know, wanting to help get involved in, in various organizations and activities to, to try to curb and, and eliminate some of the bads that are going on in the world, all the evil. But now think about it. How often do you see bad stuff if you're on Facebook or Twitter or whatever? You see it all the time. And here's, here's what we see on, on Facebook, and this is what experts have been writing about, is that Part of the problem with Facebook is that every post gets equal weight. In other words, they don't say, okay, the things at the top of your wall are the most important things, and then when you scroll all the way to the bottom, it's going to be the least important things. No, it's just things just keep popping up. And so your brain starts to have problems differentiating between 
what's important and what's not important, what's good and what's bad. And even when you do understand it, okay, some of these things are bad, it's just so much of it that you just become desensitized to it. And so as you're scrolling through, you know, it's like, okay, uh, a recipe for guacamole, and then another NFL player beat his wife, and then you have a funny cat video, and then you have, you know, ISIS beheaded another journalist overseas. And so all these things are just mixed together. And again, your, your brain is like trying to comprehend where does this all fit in? And even when you realize that, okay, some of those things are really, really bad, when you see that same post over and over and over again, it's not that you just saw that ISIS beheaded a guy once on the evening news. No, you see 20, 30, 40, 60 people posting it over and over and over again. And it's like in the video that we had there at the beginning that the girl, she's just like looking at all this bad stuff and she's like shrugging her shoulders. It stops to sort of register about how bad it truly is. We become desensitized to what's happening and thus we become less compassionate. Number three, technology and social media causes us to care less because it provides for less personal interaction. Think of it this way. Let's say you, you get on Facebook, you get on Twitter, and you see that somebody posted that they lost their job. What's your natural reaction going to be if you see it on social media? You're probably going to reply back, right? Oh, man, that really stinks. Uh, you know, I'll be praying for you. I, I hope you find a new job. Now, you told them that you're going to pray for them, but be honest, when you put those prayer requests and I'm going to pray for you, sometimes you remember to do it and sometimes you don't, right? I mean, I, I, what I've done is I've gotten in the habit that if I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them, I pray right there, right, right then, because if not, I'll forget, right? Because, again, there's just so much stuff going on. And so that's one way, is that, okay, I see it, I post something, oh, I must really be a caring person, I must be compassionate. But I want you to think about this. What if that same person, instead of posting it on their wall and giving you the news, what if you were sitting across from them in a restaurant, and they told you, I just lost my job, and you can see the pain and the anguish on their face as they're talking about how, you know, I just had to tell my daughters that, we can't afford to send them to dance class anymore. Or you see the, the pain on their face as they're saying, I, I don't know how we're going to pay for mom's nursing home bill this month. Or you see the pain as they're like, I don't know how we're going to pay the car payment or the, the mortgage payment. You see how that's a lot different? How all of a sudden your level of care increased dramatically? Because you were right there, you were having this personal interaction with them. When, it, when it's online, it's sort of impersonal. And yeah, you can care, but not quite as much. And so that's what I'm saying. Social media, while it's great, because it doesn't uh, involve a lot of social interaction face-to-face, -face, and we've been talking about that in this series, right, about how important face-to-face -face interaction is, social media has actually led to a decrease in compassion. All right. So here's the thing. Last few weeks, we've been talking about this whole thing, about some of the dangers of social media, some of the, the perks to social media. Why should we care about this whole thing of compassion? Well, let me say it this way. If we were just, you know, Joe or Jane Blow out in the community, 
Well, we wouldn't have to worry about being less compassionate. But I think that the reason that we came here today to Exponential is because all of us are saying, you know what? I want to become more like Jesus. And what we need to understand is Jesus was the most compassionate person who ever lived. And so if Jesus was compassionate, we've got to become compassionate as well. And so again, that's what I want to share with you this morning is how do we do that? So here's our big thought for the day if you're taking notes. My compassion must be backed up with action. My compassion must be backed up with action. Compassion isn't just a, a feeling. It's not just an emotion. Compassion is something you do. And here's why I say that. When you look it up in the original Greek, the, the Greek word for compassion is splunknizomai. Splunknizomai. That's a fun word. You want to try to say it? Splunknizomai. Splunknizomai. All right? And what this word means is this. To have your bowels, to have your intestines twisted. That it's, it's a, a pain so deep inside of you that it's like somebody's just like ripping your guts out. You know, have you ever said that to somebody? I mean, I just, oh, I can just oh, I feel it in my gut. Here's the other part to it. Not only is it this, this thing, a, a feeling, an emotion of, man, I, I, this just makes me want to throw up just even thinking about this. This Greek word, splunknizomai, actually, it goes beyond just the feeling. It goes beyond the emotion. It goes to the point of action. That it actually is so deep inside of you, so painful, that you say, I've got to do something about this. It's not just, oh, well, that's too bad. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. No, it's, uh, I'm going to get involved in your situation. I'm going to try to help do something about this particular thing. Here's how I put it on your outline then. To say that you care but not to act is to not care at all. Again, to say that you care but not act is to not care at all. In the context of this series... Well, what I mean is this, if you see that somebody is hurting on Facebook, just clicking on it or just commenting on it is not enough. That's not compassion. Clicking is not caring. Acting is caring. Actually going out and doing something to to help alleviate the situation that the person is going through is the best thing that you can do. Caring is not liking a post, it's loving a person. In fact, you love them so much that you get involved in their situation. You help out in any way that you can. But again, the question is why? Why would you do that? Why would you go beyond just clicking or commenting? Why? It's because that's what Jesus did. Jesus gets involved in your situations and my situations, and he, he's gotten involved throughout you know, the last 2,000 years in the situations of people. In fact, every time in the New Testament that you read that Jesus was moved to compassion, it's immediately followed by some sort of action. Let me give you a couple of examples. Follow along in your Bible there. You can follow along on the screen or your outline in your program. Mark 1, 40 to 41 says this. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus and begged him to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal it and make me clean, he said. Moved with what? Moved with compassion, Jesus did what? He reached out and he touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. So again, compassion 
leads us to action. Next one, Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had what? He had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Again, he didn't just say, oh, I'll pray for you guys. I hope you guys are going to be okay. No, he actually did something about it. Matthew 20, verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and they followed him. The bottom line is this. The more we obsess over ourselves, the more we're concerned about did people like my comment and and did they like my post, did they like my picture, did they retweet, did they share, the more we're concerned and obsessed about those things for ourselves, the less we're going to be concerned about other people. And so here's what we need to do. We've got to learn how to get obsessed with Jesus. That Jesus is the only thing in life that we need. That Jesus, I'm going to obsess over you because the more I obsess over you, the more I'm going to become like you. And the more I become like you, the more I'm going to be less concerned about myself and more concerned about other people. We've got to do that. We've got to learn to know Jesus more and, and serve Him more because suddenly we're going to care more for others and less for ourselves. So my question is this. When was the last time you were so moved by compassion that it ripped your guts out, whatever the situation was, that you gave up an entire day to help out, or you gave up an entire weekend, or you gave up an entire week because you were moved with compassion? When was the last time? When was the last time you made a major financial sacrifice because you were so gripped? It felt like... Oh, somebody's ripping my guts out with what's going on here. I'm a huge check to try to take care of that. When was the last time you did something like that? When was the last time that you're like, you know what? What I'm about to do here, I really don't want to do. Every part of me says, don't do this. But I'm so moved by this situation that even though it may be dangerous for me or it's scary or it's out of my comfort zone, I'm still going to do it anyway. When was the last time? See, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have got to learn how to be moved by compassion to the point that we don't just pray about it, we don't just click a button on the computer, but we actually get out of our seats, we get out of our chairs, and we go out and we do something. Again, compassion demands action. So a couple thoughts as we continue to just sort of wrestle through this whole thing. Number one there on your outline is, I must realize that opportunities for compassion will often cause interruptions in my life. You know, as you read throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly being interrupted. Just over and over and over again. I mean, the guy couldn't catch a break. Uh, for example, there's, uh, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus and the disciples, I mean, they had just been going full bore. They're just like doing ministry, 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 ministry. Jesus is exhausted. exhausted. Jesus is like, all right. Guys, we just need to get away. We, we need to take a little rest here. We need to take a break. Miniature vacation for a couple days. Recharge, refresh. And so they get away to this little hideout, right? And the Bible says the crowds found out where he was at, and they came, and they were making demands of him. Jesus' vacation is interrupted. But guess what the Bible says? Moved with compassion. He began to teach the crowds. Moved with compassion, 
He was interrupted, but yet he still felt compassion, and he did something about it. Luke chapter 8, Jesus is on his way to, to heal a young girl. She's on her deathbed. She is going to die. So he's, he's making his way as quickly as possible to, to get there when he's interrupted by a woman, and she says, Sir, I'm, I've had this disease for 12 years. Can, can you heal me? Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus is on his way to do something that God wants him to do, and he's interrupted because there's something else that God wants him to do first. Jesus easily could have told this woman, no, 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 I've got to get to this young girl. I've got to go heal her. But instead, instead of being distracted, he didn't see it as an interruption. He saw it as God's divine interruption. And he said, let me heal you. And he did. He healed the woman. And then he goes on and he heals the little girl. Give you one final example then. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus, he's teaching at somebody's home. We're not sure exactly whose home it is, but he's there and the living room is full. It's overflowed out into the kitchen, into the dining room. I mean, the house is packed. It's standing room only. In fact, it's overflowed outside the doors. People are like peeking in through the windows and stuff. They, they want to hear this famous rabbi. They want to hear him teach. And so Jesus is teaching. But there's these four guys. And they love their friend who's paralyzed so much that they're like, we've got to get our friend to Jesus, however, but they can't get him in even close to Jesus because, again, the house is packed with people. So you know what they do? They, they're so filled with compassion for their friend. It so grips them that they're like, we've got to be moved to action. We've got to do something. So they climb up onto the roof. They cut a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down with ropes to Jesus. Talk about an interruption. I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God. He's up front, he's speaking, he's teaching, and all of a sudden there's like a man like dropping down from the ceiling. What an interruption. But Jesus doesn't see it as an interruption. He is moved with compassion. And compassion always demands what? Action. And so what does Jesus do? He reaches out and he heals the man. Again, you have got to realize that compassion many times is going to cause interruptions in your life. But these are divine interruptions. In fact, I want to share with you a story of something that happened to me just uh, two weeks ago when I was down in Florida for a conference. Again, went down to the conference. I've gone to this particular conference the last seven, eight years or so. Great, big conference. You know, six, seven, eight thousand pastors show up to this thing, and, and I love it. And it costs big money to be there, okay? Um, so the very first day that it's about to start, we are like maybe 30, 40 minutes before it's getting ready to start. One of the guys, a friend of mine from North Carolina, he's like, I forgot my medication. Like literally, like not back at the hotel room, but literally back in North Carolina, he left his medication. He's like, I really need it. It's important. I know you got a rental car. Could you take me to the nearest Rite Aid? I was like, Sure. Now, again, you know, this is 30, 40 minutes before. I'm thinking we're going to run up to Rite Aid. We'll get back. Maybe we'll miss the first couple minutes, but we'll, we'll be fine. So we get in the car, and it is pouring rain. I mean, torrential rain. So we're going slow as it is. And I was like, Victor, did you look up? Where is the nearest Rite Aid? And he gets out his phone, the GPS. It's 20 miles away. And so, okay, we're, we're driving to the, the Rite Aid. Well, as we're going slowly along, he's still looking up things, and he's like, 
Well, there's one that's two miles closer. Let's go to that one. I was like, okay, let's go to that one then. Now, he needed to go to Rite Aid because that's who he uses back home. And so all he'd have to do is go into the Rite Aid. He had already called ahead and said, hey, I'm going to come. They're like, oh, yeah, no problem. We can just look it up in our computer system. We'll fulfill your prescription. We follow the GPS directions to this new Rite Aid. It says Rite Aid is on your left. We look over, and it's CVS. That's not Rite Aid. CVS. Well, now we have a decision to make. Are we going to get back in the car? Are we going to you know, go on to the other one? Or what are we going to do? And he's like, well, you know what? It'd be probably just as fast now that we're here. I'll just go in, fill out the paperwork, and you know, have CVS and Rite Aid work it all out and get my prescription. So in we go. He goes up, gives him all the information, et cetera, et cetera, calls back to his home Rite Aid, tells him the situation, and now they have to send a fax down to this particular CVS. So he and I are standing there in the store. We're just talking and, you know, having a great conversation. And by this point, we have missed, you know, part of the the conference. But we're like, oh, you know, no no problem, because we're having a great conversation about church and ministry and various things and talking and talking and talking. About a half hour goes by, and the woman behind the counter says, "Uh, Mr. Glover, we never received your facts yet. And we're going, what? (laughs) You left us stand here for a half hour? without telling us about, you know, didn't get the facts. And so he calls back to his local Rite Aid and, you know, squares things away. And they said, well, as soon as we can, we'll fax it down. Well, now, you know, time has really passed by and we're hungry for lunch. So we told him, look, we're going to go out for lunch and we'll come back and pick up the prescription. So we get in the car and we had seen like a Chinese buffet that was like up the road a little bit. But I knew coming out of the parking lot, I needed to make a right, but I immediately needed to cross over three lanes of traffic to get into the left-hand turn lane. So this is like a really, really busy, you know, roadway. Imagine like Route 22 here in Harrisburg, but yet it's, you know, a lane wider, right? And just, it's just car, 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 car. And I got to make a right, but I got to get all the way over. So I'm like waiting, 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 and still waiting, 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 you know, and literally I'm, we're talking minutes that I'm sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, everything clears and a pedestrian starts coming (laughs) right in front of me. Now, I could have gunned it and got out in front of him, but I'm like, technically, he has the right of way, so I'm going to let him cross in front of me. But he doesn't cross in front of me. Instead, he knocks on the window. Down goes the window. Yes, sir, can I help you with something? I'm really hungry. Can I have a dollar for lunch? I was like, I'll do you one better. Hop in the back seat quick, and I'll take you to lunch. So he hops in, and I gun it, you know, before the cars start coming through again. We go out, we go over, and we start talking to this guy. And his name was Keith, and we were like, uh, Keith, tell us your story. Keith had just gotten out of prison. Keith was a drug addict. And as we're sitting there having uh, lunch with this particular guy, you know, now we went from, okay, we're going to have a real quick lunch at the, the lunch buffet and then get back so we can get back to the conference, to now this is like a two-hour, like we're like heavy-duty ministering, you know, to this guy and trying to help him out and stuff. And eventually at one point <laughs> we said to him, Keith, you've got to realize how much God wanted you to hear what we shared with you this morning. Because think of every single thing that had to happen for us to be here speaking to you right now. God didn't just send two Christians. God sent two pastors to speak to you. One from Pennsylvania, one from North Carolina. And one of those guys had to forget his medication. And then he had to convince one of the other guys to actually take him and miss out on the conference that we're at. And then we were going to go to one place, but then we decided to go to another place that was two miles closer. But then we got there and it was the wrong one. And so we had to go inside and fill out a bunch of paperwork and then they messed up the paperwork. 
And then I could have gunned the car and gotten out in front of you, but instead I, for whatever reason, you know, it wasn't because I was being a good, you know, following the law or anything. I just decided to stop. And you knocked on the window. God wanted you to hear this message today. By the time we were done with Keith and went back to the CVS, got the prescription, got back to the conference, we only caught the last hour of the conference for the day. Divine interruptions. Divine interruptions. Was that how I had planned on my day going? Nope. Did I probably miss out on some great conference speakers? Was I exactly where God wanted me to be? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so again, I want you to think about this for your life. When you have those times when it feels like somebody's interrupting you or something interrupted you, don't see it as an interruption. Just real quick, just pray a prayer and say, God, is there something that that you have for me here? Is there something that you want me to do? Something you want me to, to say? Is there some way that I can have compassion in this particular situation. All right, number two then. I must realize that compassion is often costly. It's often costly. Jesus tells a story about one time there's this uh, guy from Samaria and he's going down the road and he looks and he sees this, this guy laying in the ditch. He's beaten to a pulp and he recognizes this is a Jewish guy. What you need to realize is that the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated one another. But this, this Samaritan, he, he looks at this guy and he has compassion on him. It, it so just twists his insides about how beaten to a pulp this guy is. He's like, I've got to do something about it. And so he goes over and he, he begins to wrap the wounds of this guy. And then he loads him up on his own donkey. And he takes this guy to the local hotel. And he pays for a week's worth of lodging for this guy so the guy can rest and, and recuperate. He does this out of his own pocket for somebody he doesn't even like or he's not supposed to like. It was costly for him. And again, you need to realize the same thing for you. When you're going to have things that just rip you apart from the inside and, and you feel moved, a lot of times there's going to be a cost associated with it. It may be a time cost. You've got to give up time that you're like, man, there's a thousand things I'd much rather be doing right now. But yet you decide to sacrifice for this situation. Or it may be a financial cost that you give money in some way to, to help out. Again, it's going to be costly, but we want compassion to be easy, don't we? We want it to be quick. We want it to be convenient. We don't want it to inconvenience us in any way. But that's not the way that it works. Compassion is going to cost. Oh, sure, you can click and retweet and like and favorite and share. But, you know, just, just don't ask me to actually do something that's going to cost me anything. That's the attitude many people have. But we've got to get beyond that. If we're going to be more like Jesus, if we're going to have this spontaneity, We've got to be willing to to act upon the feelings and the emotions we have, even if it ends up costing us something. Number three, then. I must realize that compassion is often messy. Again, compassion is something that rips your guts out, and often 
the, the reason that something so moved you in that way is because the, the situation or the circumstance that a person finds themselves in was far from God's ideal. You know, someone that has an ingrown you know, toenail or something, that's not going to move you to compassion. Somebody that dropped a dollar on the street, they're like, oh, I lost a dollar. That's not going to move you to compassion. What's going to move you to compassion? Homelessness, drug addicts, people that are in prison, AIDS and poverty and all kinds of other you know, global types of things. It's not God's ideal. But if you're going to get involved in those things and, and try to educate them, that's going to get messy. It's going to get messy. Why? Because people are messy. Situations are messy. Keith, that we met down in Florida, that, that's a, a messy situation that he's in. Victor and I are continuing to to try to help him. It's messy, but it's worth it. Compassion is always worth it. It's going to be easy, or it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. Listen, compassion can change lives. It really can. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus was full of compassion and Jesus changed lives. We're supposed to be becoming more and more and more like him each and every day. And so here's, here's my prayer for you. That the things that break God's heart will begin to break your heart as well. That you would start to see things like homelessness, illiteracy, disease, areas of the world that lack clean drinking water. Some parts of the world where you know, they, they don't even have enough food or shelter. That when you would see those things, it wouldn't just be a thing that you're like, oh yeah, that's a, another problem in the world. I hope somebody takes care of that. I hope that you'll begin to pray and say, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. And your heart isn't going to be broken about every single thing, but there needs to be something in your life that breaks your heart, that you have that swamp knees in that it's just like, I'm going to get sick if I see this anymore. But instead of turning my back on it, taking the easy way out, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. Even if it costs me, even if it gets messy, I am going to do something about it. To say that you care but not to act is to not care at all. Let's pray. Father, right now we come to you in the name of Jesus and we thank you that Jesus, you have the power over all sin, over all darkness, over everything that goes wrong in this world. You have the power to take care of those things. But God, you left us as your hands and feet. That your Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. That we have that power. But we have a decision to make. We have a choice to make. Whether something about it or not. And so Lord, I pray right now that Lord, 
you would just convict us like you've never convicted us before, that we need to act. We need to be so gripped by the, the sin and the problems of this world that we need to do something about it. We as ExponentialChurch.tv, and, and we meaning individually. This isn't for the pastor to do. This isn't for the church to do. This isn't for other organizations to do. This is for me to do. I have got to do something about some of these things that I see that are wrong in the world. Lord, grip us this morning like you've never gripped us before. Help us to be committed to making a difference in this world. Use us, God, to be your hands, to be your feet, to go wherever it is that you would have us to go, to say whatever it is you'd have us to say, and to do anything that it is that you would have us to do. Father, thank you. Thank you for the stories that we're going to hear over the next coming weeks and months and years about how we heard a message here this morning on compassion and that it changed our lives. And as a result, it ended up changing the lives of others. Thank you in advance again, God, for doing that. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.